0: God, let us just rest in the promise that we are your children, that you are for us, that this is a safe place. Father, thank you for loving us so much, loving your children, that you provided a way, a way of salvation for us. Father, forgive us when we've tried to overcomplicate this relationship, and we just rest in the simplicity that you are our Father, and that we are your children, and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. morning. You guys excited to be in the Father's house this morning? Amen. I love that. Uh, happy Father's Day to all of our our fathers uh, in the house. I was uh, blessed last night to have both of my sons uh, here in in the uh, in the service last night, and uh, so that was that was exciting. And um, and I think today I'm joined by by one of my sons and and uh, my wife, who I must say a week ago today we celebrated another wedding anniversary. And uh, so, man, give it up for my wife for uh, just living with me. And. Uh, Many would say uh, she's going to receive extra uh, crowns or extra jewels in her crowns when she gets to heaven. And some of you know me and think, I mean, if you live with me, you'd probably say she really deserves a lot more than that. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, she's my right hand. She's been just, a, just an incredible, um, incredible strength in my life, uh, especially these these past few years as I've gone through the loss of my parents, all this kind of stuff. Just, man, just there. And so I'm very thankful uh, for you, Audra, and uh, and what you mean to me and, and our boys. And um, God blessed us. Recently, we were able to go uh, spend some time uh, on a little trip out west and uh, had a great time just spending that time, that intentional Time together, and I couldn't, I couldn't help as we were going through that vacation, and we're driving uh, through uh, Utah and, and to Zion National Park, and just doing some hiking. I couldn't help but think that my dad would have been proud. He was always a big component of, hey, let's spend some intentional family time together. And, uh, and so I just couldn't help but think that, like, man, my dad's going to be proud that we took the time and made this happen. And it was, you know how it is trying to get on family vacation. Like, you have to work, like, an 80-hour work week just to get ready to go take off the 40-hour work week, right? And so that's kind of the way it was. And, uh, and, but, man, just so worth it just getting out there. And, uh, and so, so happy Father's Day. Hope you're here. Uh, you're ready and, and excited to get back in God's Word uh, this weekend. And so what we want to do is we, we continue our series called Rooted. Pastor Gus launched us into this last weekend, and we continue today walking through the book of Colossians. The passage that we're going to take a look at today is interesting, because it's one of the most uh, interesting statements. It's one of the most significant statements, I would say, in the entire Bible about who Jesus is, and I'm not just saying that just because I get to talk about it this week. I'm saying that because it is. I mean, what, what we see in these next few verses is absolutely a theological statement. And what is happening here is, as you sit down and you begin to prepare a passage in order to preach, you start looking at some of the linguistics, you start looking at the language, you say, man, there's, there's no verbs here, there's no imperatives here, there's no, because of this, we're supposed to go and do that. There's none of that. This is all about what we believe. And, and Colossians is full of that. You know, Colossians 110 says that we, we ought to be increasing in our knowledge of God always. You know, sometimes it's just important to to get these things straightened out. And and the Colossians were challenged. I mean, they were this church was very challenged in this moment. And and you know, the the knowing who Jesus is is mission critical to our faith. And so as Paul is, is leaning into this situation, he's looking at these, these, these next five verses that, that, uh, that we're about to look at. He's dealing with something. He's writing specifically because of something. And, and I look at this and I think of these, these early verses and what the early church would do is in, in order to memorize these verses, and the reason that they would memorize these verses is because so they could step into all the challenges that were facing them. You know, it's, it's not like challenges that, uh, that, that you and I don't face today. Like maybe a, a family member or maybe a coworker, worker or someone at school is challenging our faith. And we need to be ready to step into those conversations. And that's, what they were, that's why they were memorizing these verses. I, I told Marsh this earlier in the week. I said, you know, what they used to do was they would, they would turn these, these scriptures into hymns. And, and they would memorize them through singing hymns. And I told Marsh, I said, hey, I may call you out mid-sermon this week. And you and I are just going to write a little song so everybody goes home with a, with a song in their head at the end of the day. We're not going to do that, so don't worry but, but the problem, you know, the, the challenge here in, in the church in Colossae was facing is uh, a lot, it, it could be like 2021 20, all over again. Because what, what was happening is this, people have a lot of thoughts then and today about who Jesus is. I mean, a lot of people today think that Jesus was maybe a mystic. A lot of people today think Jesus was just, maybe he was just a prophet. Maybe he was just a, 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 a great teacher, a high motivational speaker. Maybe he's a little bit lesser of a deity than than God. There's one group today that would even say that Jesus was just an exalted man and that you, with enough faith, you can populate your own planet and you can be equal to Jesus. Listen, that's not only heretical, that's just straight up heresy. That's not even wrong, but what that does, that goes against everything that you and I have been taught from the word of God about who Jesus is. It's absolutely the opposite because who Jesus is matters not only theologically, but it matters relationally. I'm excited that this next week I get to take, tomorrow morning, uh, I get to jump on a bus with 56 middle school students and we're going to go to camp. Amen? That's awesome. I'm excited. Here's why I'm so excited. And you can pray for me, by the way, uh, for next week. Here's why I'm so excited. This camp we're going to really spends a lot of time in, in the Word. And we're going to have fun because it's camp and I'm going. And so it's going to be great. It's going to be fun. I'm going to make sure every, every single person has fun. And, uh, but but the, the thing I love about this camp is that they die. Everything centers back to God's word. And I can't wait for them to get there and to get into the word so much. Because it's at this formidable age in their lives that they need to, be, need to begin to wrestle with their faith. They need to begin to wrestle with these things, getting these straight. So when they face challenges that will come in life they will be able to step in knowing why they believe what they believe. Amen? And so I'm excited about it. you be praying for those students as, as they get ready this next week. But see, the problem in Colossae here is there was this group, a specific group of philosophers, and they had kind of infiltrated the church to this point, and, and it was not just here in this church. It was in churches all across Asia Minor, and, and they were not, not only heretical on just about everything that, that, that we believe. I mean, it was it was pretty the opposite. I mean, let me give you an example. Like, for instance as Christ followers, grace is kind of a big deal to us. I mean, it, it, you know, even the scriptures teach in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it's by grace that we've been saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. The Gnostics, which Pastor Gus introduced us to last week, mentioned them, the Gnostics thought, man, this whole idea of grace and unmerited favor, that is outlandish. So here's, here's a couple things that they believed. They thought there's no way that God's gonna allow someone into heaven that hasn't earned a way to get there. They thought the way to heaven was, was through their intellect. They believed in this dualism. And basically what that means is this, that throughout time and space, there's going to be certain opposing forces happening against each other and taking place always against each other. It would be, it would be light and darkness. It would be matter versus spirit. It would be evil versus good. And, and, and as you continue to look, like the, the only way to attain true spirituality was to deny themselves physically anything that would, that would cause them to be tempted. Now, for those that went down that line, a lot of times they would end up falling into asceticism. The polar opposite of that was those thought that, well, what happens to the body is inconsequential because all that really matters is spirit. And the the group that kind of tended and leaned towards that would end up in licentiousness. And so either way, both of these are completely heretical to what you and I have been called to uh, through Scripture. Nothing could be further wrong with that biblically. I mean nothing. And Paul's leaning into this and he's like, man, this is this is an issue. Colossians 1:12 says that it's 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 him, it's the Father who qualifies us. It's, it's in him that we uh, that we have been transformed, that we have been delivered. The Gnostics also believe that since spirit is good and matter is bad, that that all things, you know, like the earth, that the flesh is bad, flesh is matter, the table is matter, the floor is matter, we're matter. Therefore, we are bad. And, and, and logically, to them, God could never take something good and bad and mix it together. He just couldn't. He just, God just wouldn't do that in their mind. Therefore, the human flesh that we are, there's no way that God would allow his son to be born into human flesh. Let alone in a lowly stable. Let alone to walk among, among broken men and women. And then to die for that cause? See, God wouldn't do that because that's not who they thought God was. See, what they, what they thought, the, the, the challenging thing for them was they, did, they could not get their mind wrapped around that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And that was the struggle. It also meant that God could not have created the world. And they, didn't, they thought that God had something to do with the creation process, but they thought he couldn't have been responsible for the whole thing. Why? Because in Genesis 1-1, it says that the, that the earth was, 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 uh, was created formless and void, and there's no way that God would, would allow something to be created formless and void and bad just, and just leave it there. No, they thought that, that God had a proxy that helped him with creation, someone lesser than the deity of God himself. Someone, someone else that was lower than him helped him with that creation. Now, the reason that this matters so much to you and I today is because, like I said, this same context is kind of the context that we, we kind of have stepped into uh, today. By that, I mean, you know, you mentioned the word Jesus, and it just hits people differently today. What do I mean by that? Well, I can go and I can meet with all the, the area uh, high school principals and teachers and uh or 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 administrators assistant principals and i can say hey we're going to work together we're going to do this community project and and in the the name of a community project we can we can ask god to to bless that project we can ask god to to thank god for the students that we're working with but man the moment you mention the name of jesus everyone backs into a corner pulls their sword and is ready to go it just hits differently I I made this mistake as fresh out of seminary in my first church in South Florida and same kind of setting and someone said something about Jesus and amen. And and most people in that situation would would back out and and I didn't know anything, so I didn't. And so I said, hold on, I don't know what everybody's getting so excited about because it says here in the Bible that there's gonna come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Well, that started just a small fire uh, in the South Florida school system. But, um, but hey, we got to stand up for what we know, right? And so through that, Paul is, is, is highly motivated in this moment. He's moved by God to write this letter because there's this confusion. We know that God is not the author of confusion. And so as we walk through this passage, I would like to, for us to divide it up into to three categories and look through the first of all, the supremacy of Christ through the lens of Jesus and the Father. Look at verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus being the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the Father that you and I cannot see. It's an interesting word here used. The Greek word that's used here is, is icon. It's where, um, for image, is, is the word icon. What it means is a statue that's is kind of erected to, um, to portray the exact origin. Of, of, of whoever they're, they're trying to mimic. And so, um, you know, you've walked into a, a wax museum before. And, and you go to a wax museum and you're like, oh, man, this is incredible. I went and one once and I was like, man, it's Michael Jackson. There is no question that this is Michael Jackson. They did an amazing job with this wax figure. Then you walk around the corner and you're like looking on this tour, right? You're looking, you're like looking at this thing. You're going like, you have to look at the nameplate because you can't even recognize who this is. And you're like, I, man, this one didn't turn out so well. I can't even tell who this is. Right, It's just like that. It's just doesn't, sometimes it doesn't turn out as well. To honor the Hall of Fame pitcher Jim Palmer, the Baltimore Orioles erected a statue of, of that pitcher out in front of Camden Yards to, to, to honor him. And it was a it was a great statue, and it was it was it caught one of his um, signature moves to home plate. He had a he had a signature leg kick uh, in his delivery to home plate, and so they caught this in this in the erection of the statue, and uh, and so they put it out. They had a big ceremony, but late, years later, this thing is out in front of Camden Yards, and it's so that the fans can interact with it. And, get pictures with it and there was an older couple that stepped up to the statue one day later uh, years later and and were looking at it and you could tell that the, the gentleman was enthralled with the statue. I mean he was a, a long time Orioles fan, obviously a big fan of, of Jim Palmer himself and and so he's looking at this and his, his wife's like you know it's like a thousand degrees out here let's go in the, the stadium and so uh She's like, why don't I take a picture of you in front of the statue? And it's like, no, I want you to be in the picture too. She's like, okay. So she turns around, hands her camera, asks some guy, hey, can you take a picture of us in front of the statue? And so the gentleman takes the camera, they get in front, they're like, here we are, statue, okay. So he takes a picture and he he brings the camera and says, are you you ready for me to take the picture? And they said, well, yeah, we're ready. Okay, so he takes the picture and he hands the camera back to him. They say, thank you, they go onto the gate and they go on in. The gentleman who took the picture was Jim Palmer baseball great sometimes we can't even recognize the very person that we're honoring you and i according to genesis chapter one we were created in the image of who we were created in the image of god but with you and i we are broken icons of that image we are broken images. We're not the perfect image. We are broken because someday we're going we're gonna to get old. We're going to make mistakes, and someday we're going to pass. But, and there's, there's, until then, we pray that one day we're going to receive that, that perfect body again. But, but until then, we're broken. We are not that, that perfect image. But you know who is? His name is Jesus. Jesus is the absolute, accurate, 100% image of the Father in the flesh. He didn't come on him just at birth. He was always this way. Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the radiance of His glory. Philippians 2.6 says, He is the very form of God. Jesus is the full and the final and the complete revelation of the Father in the flesh, according to Scripture. And In John 14.7, Jesus says it in His own words in response to the disciples Himself. He says, If you had known Me, you would have known My Father also. From now on you know Him and have seen Him. I mean, those are pretty clear words. Look at, look at verse 15. Another phrase that we, we focus on here is the firstborn of creation. I love this. Firstborn in this culture, we think of the firstborn of creation, we think that's the first one out of the womb, right? And so, but in the biblical realm, that doesn't mean the firstborn out of the womb. <clears throat> what it's dealing with is, is rank. You know, we get the Greek word protokos. We get our word prototype from that. Prototype. You ever seen a prototype? Remember, like, like um, you go back you look now, you look at the DeLorean, The prototype that came out originally with the DeLorean was a pretty special car. It was one guy that got to drive it around. And everybody at that point wanted to be driving the DeLorean, right? And of course, Back to the Future and that that whole series of movies made that car very famous. But the prototype itself was cooler than anything that was ever made after it. And what the prototype is supposed to be is the original. And everything else is supposed to be made according to that. Biblically, when we see the phrase firstborn of creation, what it means is it's first in rank. We see that with the nation of Israel. The, the nation of Israel was called God's firstborn. Why? We know there were, there were nations that came before Israel. We know that. So why was, nation, why was it called that? Because they were God's people. They were first in rank. Last series we did, after God's heart, we learned a lot about, about King David. Psalm 89 tells us that that David, if we we know anything about David, we know anything about David's father, Jesse, when God came and said, hey, I'm I'm looking for a new king. (laughs) Poor David, he's like the eighth son back. He doesn't even get an invite to the table, right? He doesn't even get to to, to be on the the Zoom group interview. Like, he's that far down the table. But you know what? God saw something in him. God saw something in him. In God's eyes, he was the firstborn. Why? Because it has to do with rank, not firstborn. We look at the lens of, of Jesus and the universe in these next few verses. Now, when I think of Jesus and the world, we, we, think, we look at this, it says, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. You see, Jesus is the creator of all things. We know that. the He created everything ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. I don't know about you, but, like, I, I took shop class in, like, the ninth grade, and, uh, oh, man, I was great at what I did. <clears throat> not really. My dad was a, wood, a woodworker. He worked wood. He built things all the time, um, some really great stuff. There's not a bed in my house currently that my dad didn't build. I mean, complete with headboards, complete with pull-out drawers, the whole, the whole deal. I mean, he just loved to make stuff. And so, uh, in ninth grade, I'm taking shop. And uh, I, I decided I'm going to make a stool. So it was like a dual purpose. You could sit on it to work on projects. You could also uh, stand on it. It would actually hold you up. Stand on it to reach something out of the top of the closet if you needed. And I was going to give it to my parents as, as a gift. So this is towards the end of the school year. And I'm working on it. And so I, I get the, the wood that they, they gave me. And I get the stuff. Uh, we cut it all out. We do all this stuff. We sand it. We nail it together. We screw it. We glue it. Glue it, glue it all this kind of stuff. And it comes out OK. And I get to present it to them. And, you know, my dad's like, hey, this is great. I'm like, he doesn't probably really mean that, but that's great. Um, I found that, that stool here a few months back. We were cleaning out my parents' house, getting it ready for sale. And uh, I found that old stool, and I thought, why in the world would you hang on to this thing? And every once in a while, we would be working out in the garage. He would, he would run across, and he would go, hey, Rob, remember we did this? I'm like, I can't tell if you're making fun of me right now, or. He, he had a lot of fun with that. And he appreciated it. And what I think he appreciated most was the fact that I think he started to see his handprints through me in this project. And what Paul's trying to communicate is here to, to, to this group of believers is that through Jesus, Jesus was the handprints of God the Father. Not only through what he said, but what he did, his actions. That the world should be able to see his handprints through Jesus which would prove that he is who he says he was. You know, the, the thing about creating the universe, creating this world out of nothing, it's what that verse says. That, that everything came into existence. Wood, metals, rock, everything came into existence upon creation. It wasn't there beforehand. It was something that he, he created. Therefore, by him all things were created. Verse 17 says that he existed before all things. He is before everything. Look at, look at John 1.3, 3. says, All things came into being through him and apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. Hebrews 1, 2 says, In these last days he has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. I mean, in Jesus' own testimony in Revelation, he says, what? I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. The first, the last, the beginning, the end. It's a testimony in his own words. I was before all things. You know what Jesus is also? He is the sustainer, as that verse says. He is the sustainer of all things. Now, if I were to ask you, if I were to come around and ask you right now, how how do we sustain life? Well, that's pretty basic, Rob. You you just need air. You need some water, all right? And you can live, right? The reality is we need like 11 things. It's like the Colonel's chicken, right? You need all these essential herbs and ingredients, right? 11 different elements, oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, sulfur, sodium, magnesium, potassium, calcium, chlorine, and phosphorus. And not all of them are mixed the same way. It's got to be a little bit of this and a little bit of this, a different mixture of this and the different, and all those things coming together, that's how we sustain life. Without those things, without that right mixture, guess what? We cannot exist. The other thing I thought about is this. God creates, for example, the, the, the Earth's distance to Jupiter. Now, I know that you woke up today and you thought, how's my life going to be affected today by the Earth's distance from Jupiter? I know you had that thought as you walked out of your house this morning. Well, let me tell you. If the Earth were any further away from Jupiter, the Earth would be unprotected from, from asteroids and, and, and elements through space, and they would collide with the Earth, causing catastrophic loss of life. If it were any closer to Jupiter, it would affect the Earth's orbit, and therefore, our weather would become uncontrollable, therefore also affecting and causing catastrophic loss of life. He is just the sustainer of all things. Jesus, ultimate sustainer. And and now we look at the the third category and the third lens I want you to see the supremacy of Christ through, and that is Jesus and the church. Now here's where um, I told you at the beginning here that there were no verbs, no imperatives, no, because of this, we need to do this. Still the case, but from this, I think we can get some pretty clear imperatives. And it says this, look at verses 18. It says, He is the head of the body, the head of the church. He's the beginning, He's the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. Jesus is the head of the church. Now, when I say the head of the church today, I'm talking about capital C church. Here's what I mean as a church, we do not line up behind. A particular political party. We don't follow this political party. We don't follow that political party. We don't follow this political party. We don't we don't line up behind this interest group or that interest group. We we just don't. Why? Because we are the church. Because the church is not these four walls. The church is made up of you and I. Are we, we in agreement there? You guys understand? Okay. So because of that, guess what? <clears throat> God has ordained us to be his followers, to be his children. We just sang about that earlier. What I mean by that is this. Many years ago, God wrote a statement for the church, a statement for us to be obedient to his word. We are called to be people of the book. We are called to be people of great faith. We are called to be people that, that, are, that are obedient to what God is telling us to do here. We do not need to make a statement every time something happens in the news. And here's what I mean by that. Does God say, go love your neighbor? Absolutely. Love your neighbor as yourself. The Bible says also to roll up your sleeves and go and serve those that are in need. We absolutely better be doing that. But here's what I really think. We don't need to make a statement every time something happens in the news. Here's why. Our statement has already been made. And if we would just be obedient to this, we would just be faithful to this, guess what? Our statement would be our actions. Our statement would be our love towards our mankind and the fellow neighbors and friends in this community. And I think what happened is we've gotten this out of order. Capital C Church now. We've gotten this out of order, and we've fallen into this sway line. We're, we're going back and forth, back and forth. Now, listen, this is not a very popular take in this day and age, because today, a lot of people will say, well, if you're not standing for this, Rob, then you're, then you're against that. And if you're not against this, then you're, then you're for this. God is way more sovereign than that. God is bigger than that. Now, do I go stand with my neighbor? Absolutely. Do I go stand in my community and say, this is what the Word of God says, this is how we're going to follow it? Absolutely. But we don't have to react. Listen, there are things that are coming that you and I can't even dream up right now. There are challenges coming ahead for the church that you and I can't even even imagine right now. Our statement has already been made. All we need to do is be faithful to this. I think if we're more faithful to this, people will see our statement through our actions, through our love. We can't get caught in the sway line. Can you imagine me standing at, at, before a holy God and say, Rob, what have you done with my church? Well, God, we, we, we started following this party and, and man, they were lining up with, with your word for a little bit and then we, then we had to step back because they kind of went this way and then, no, nope, then we changed. We, went, we, we started following this party over here and this group over here and this interest group and they, but then they started backing away from your word and so we had to back off again and we get caught up in this sway line and we're back and forth, we're back and forth, we're back and forth. Back and forth. Our statement has been made. We just need to follow it. Verse 18 continues, and verse 19 says, For it is the Father's good pleasure, we just heard that earlier, for all the fullness to dwell in him, that Jesus is the reconciler of all things to himself. If you want to change your relationship status with the Father, in Jesus' own words, no one comes to the Father but by me. And if you want to change your relationship status with the Father, it comes through Jesus. Jesus. Man, if, if you're here today and you need to change that status, if you're here today and you're just like, man, I, I need to step back into that relationship with God, it starts with Jesus. He is the reconciler of all things to himself. It doesn't matter where I am. doesn't matter what I've stepped off into. He is the reconciler. He can reconcile us back to the Father. My prayer for us as a church, capital C, and little c is that the Father's handprints fingerprints, thumbprints are all over us that's what Paul was trying to say he said if you can see Jesus for who he really is you'll see the handprints of the Father all over him the joy to see the fullness of himself in his son he also has joy when he sees the fullness of himself through us Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your, your word today. We thank you for its truth in our lives. That is, that is a plumb line that we can follow. Father, I pray that when, when the world looks and sees us, that they see the, the hands and feet of Jesus. Lord, I pray that they see your handprints, your fingerprints, all through all that we say, all that we do, how we behave. God, may they see Jesus in us and ultimately find their way to you. Pray for those in the the midst, in this room, those online that are joining us this morning. God, you are our cornerstone upon which we build our faith. May our lives reflect that today. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.